Today's Bible reading comes from 1 Thessalonians, chapter 4, verses 13 to 18. Please read along with me. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's word, we will tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Thank you, Katie. A French good to, to see you and uh, getting used to different groups of people on uh, Sunday mornings at nine o'clock, depending on which week it is. Great to see so many of you booked in, so many of the children in our kids' church. If you missed out last week, uh, we are looking at authentic, a life that is holy. And we looked at the whole area of sexual purity and uh, interesting, great response we had from people at all of our services wanted to engage with that topic because it's such an important topic. Today we go to another topic that the Apostle Paul deals with when he speaks to the Thessalonians. And it's a big one there for them as well. It's the issue of death and the second coming of Jesus and what happens then and uh, will you be ready and how to be ready for that moment. And so we've called it a hope that endures. And uh, we move to a very different topic, but a really significant one today. We as Christians, if you are a Christian, can have confidence knowing that there is life beyond death. And we can have a hope in Christ that endures beyond this life into eternity. Let me give you an example of the power of this gospel truth. It was July the 18th, or sorry, 1738, uh, two months after his, the conversion of Charles Wesley. You'll know of him and his brother John. Uh, they did a, he did an amazing thing. He said he decided because he'd come to know Christ, he wanted to go to a prison, what was called the Newgate Prison, uh, with a friend called Bray. And uh, so they would speak the gospel to people. So one of the men they spoke to was a, a black slave who had robbed his master. He was sick with a fever and was condemned to die. Wesley and Bray asked, now I guess you can't do this today, if they could be locked in overnight with the prisoners who were to be executed the next day. Give us a few minutes, give us the night with these guys before they die. And that night they spoke the gospel to everyone. They told the men that one came down from heaven to save lost sinners. They described the sufferings of the Son of God, his sorrows, his agony and his death. This is the night before their execution. So the next day, the men were loaded onto a cart and taken to their place of execution. Charles went with them. It says ropes were fastened around their necks so that the cart could be driven off and leave them swinging in the air to choke to death. That's how the execution was to take place. So the fruit of Wesley's embrace, night-long labor, was astonishing. Wesley wrote this. These are the men with the ropes around their necks. They're all cheerful, full of comfort and peace and triumph. Assuredly persuaded Christ had died for them and waited to receive them into paradise. The black, he saluted me with his looks. 
As often as his eyes met mine, he smiled with the most composed, delightful countenance I ever saw. We left them, going to meet their Lord, ready for the bridegroom. When the cart drove off, no one stirred or struggled for life, but meekly gave up their spirits. Exactly at 12, they were turned off. I spoke a few suitable words to the crowd and returned full of peace and confidence in our friend's happiness. That hour under the gallows was the most blessed hour of my life. At your execution, at peace with God, because someone preached the gospel on that final night. Well, the gospel gives us hope, friends, that death is not the end. There is life to come, eternal life with Christ. John Dixon and uh, Greg Clark in their book 666 and all that, contrast the modern myth and the biblical doctrine of life after death. Now, the modern myth goes like this. When Christians die, their bodies decay once and for all, while their spirits go eternally to God's presence in heaven. He calls it the modern myth. We live in our spirits. The biblical doctrine, though, is different. When Christians die, they rest temporarily in God's presence in heaven until they are bodily raised to life to enjoy forever God's new creation. We don't just have step one. We die and go to be with Christ in our spirit, but we await the bodily resurrection from the dead on that final day. You see, when Paul writes to the Thessalonians, he has a problem. He's spoken about the return of Christ. And the, the believers seem to have believed that was going to happen very soon. Some have given up their jobs. Some were lazy. Some were just hanging around waiting for Jesus to return. And he said, no, no, it's not like that. And they were worried that their friends who had died in the meantime were going to miss out on heaven. They knew when Christ returns, they would go to be with Jesus. But what about all those who had died? Will our friends, will our mothers, our fathers, our brothers and sisters, will they miss out on heaven? And with this complete misunderstanding of uh, eternity, Paul then speaks to bring comfort to them. And the first thing he says, Christians grieve with hope. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. Friends, we've all lost loved ones, and some of you may have lost loved ones recently. And it cuts to the heart. It sometimes breaks you, brings you to tears, and uh, it takes months or even years to recover, or ultimately you never really recover until you're in, in eternity. But I want you to notice here that it's right and normal for Christians to grieve. We're allowed to weep. We're allowed to feel sorrow. We're allowed to feel like something terrible has happened to us. Because death is a terrible enemy, the Bible says. It's right to grieve. Loss of a spouse, a father, a grandfather, a brother, a close relative. Dr. Leighton Ford, he was a Canadian evangelist and a mission leader. Uh, his son died at the age of 21. He said, the struggle is to bring our faith and our emotions together. That's something we all have to deal with. I remember Jesus, remember when he wept at the graveside of his beloved friend Lazarus? If Jesus wept or wept at the death of a friend, surely we can do the same. We may express our grief differently. Some may be more stoic, some may be more exuberant, more passionate in your grief, but we're allowed to grieve. But what Paul prohibits is not grief, but hopeless grief. 
Not all mourning, but mourning like the rest of mankind who have no hope. That is, don't grieve like the pagans of this day. Don't grieve like there is no eternity, like there is no future, no hope. I attended my first funeral when I was 15. I remember my father meeting uh, my brothers and I at the local bus stop one afternoon. I mean, it was unusual. Dad just worked all day, almost all night in a factory to earn some, some money to pay the mortgage. And we met him on the street. He said, oh, listen, your uh, grandmother's part. Funeral. It was a loud funeral. Well, Greek ones are often loud, uh, but much louder than even normal. And the, the, her, my, my mother and her sisters, they wept and they wailed throughout the service. The priest, I remember continuing the service up the front, but I really couldn't hear him because I could hear all the weeping and the wailing down the front. It seemed like, to me, a hopeless event. Sure, the priest may be saying something about eternal life, but uh, no one was hearing that. And I also know that the family, my family, really didn't believe in eternal life either. No wonder there was great uh, mourning. But so we're not like that, are we? See, non-Christians grieve without hope. Now, I've taken the funerals of unbelievers and I've taken, uh, and I've been to some and I've taken some. And let me say kindly that they are hopeless events. Because people say to me, well, you know, they're going to remain in our memory or something like that. And I think, well, God offers much more than simply remaining in your memory. We're going to remember the good times we had together. Yes, you can. But you see, there's got to be more to it than that. But they didn't believe in anything else. And you go through the service and often when other people are taking it and, there's, and then you walk out and there's often another Christian with me and we just look at each other and think, thank God for the gospel. Amen. Thank God for the gospel because this is miserable here. But what I find also, though, uh, in non-Christian funerals, that sometimes there is a false hope. We say this if you're listening, whether on live stream or here. Sometimes there's a false hope. Well, he was a good man. The man upstairs will look after him or her. You ever heard that? This expectation, even though we don't believe in a God, that somehow we think it'll all be good in the end. Well, friends, the Bible says in Ephesians 2, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Your works or your goodness or giving to society or donating to the Salvation Army or, or buying a, a ribbon at uh, Breast Sunday or, you know, whatever it happens to be, or supporting a child overseas will not get you into heaven. Faith in Christ will get you into heaven. But friends, there's another sense in which the non-Christian world is hopeless. And this is quite devastating. Because once death happens, your eternal destiny is sealed. You can't change that. Once death happens, your eternal destiny is sealed. You can't change that. There are no second chances. There is no purgatory. There's no place where someone's going to pray you out of somewhere into heaven. The Bible says there's a heaven and there's a hell. And the decision you make here on earth determines your eternal destiny Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, says the Bible. Whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. God's Word says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And friends, because it is so serious, it is so important that we take the good news of Jesus to others. That we may be like Charles Wesley, are with the people in their final moments of their lives and by the grace of God, I've seen people in their final moments of their lives give their life to Christ, like the thief on the cross. But the death and resurrection of Jesus brings us hope. 
We believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. So he'll bring with Jesus. They are with him. They're safe. They're secure. He's coming back. But because he died and rose again, we believe there is life eternal. The Bible says, For Christ died for sins once for all the righteous, for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. Friends, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper at the end of this service because we need to remember that Christ died and because of his death and resurrection, we can have life eternal. You know, on Friday, only a couple of days ago, I attended a funeral. It's a man I didn't know, but I know the man's mother and I know the man's sister. In fact, I, his sister used to come to this church. Uh, some of you may know uh, Tamara uh, Fitzgerald, and uh, her brother was only 45. He was uh, abused alcohol, was addicted to it, uh, became somewhat abusive when he was under the influence, has left a wife and a couple of young children. And he, his body was wasting away. And obviously the family had prayed, his mother Carmen, um, just prayed, prayed for the salvation of his soul. And at the funeral, his mother said that last, I think it was December, he came over with the Bible and said, Mum, I get it now. It's all Jesus. I get it, Mum. I've stuffed up my life. Mum, I'm a mess. But Jesus can forgive me. And his mother, just telling this story at the funeral, said, I sat with him, we read the scriptures, and he repented, and he put his faith in Jesus. And there seemed to be a genuine understanding of that gospel truth. She said, as hard as it has been, and as hard as life will continue to be, I saw a change in my son at that point. And so in the middle of what could have been a devastating funeral, and it was devastating anyway, there was a hope that because of Christ, he now lives without the addiction, now lives without the abuse, now lives without all, all the struggles that he has struggled with, and the depression and everything else that comes with that, set free by Jesus. Fourthly, the return of Christ fulfills our hope. We have a hope. He says, according to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, and that's important, the dead in Christ will rise first. The Thessalonians think their friends are lost. Right? What happens to them? They've already died. They said, no, they will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever. And this is important. He's talking about the resurrection, having a new resurrection body now, right? The dead in Christ are raised first. They're already alive. They're already with God, we'll see. But I think he's talking about the resurrection of the body here. They receive this new body at that resurrection, the body that will last forever into eternity. And then those who are still alive will meet the first group in the air also with transformed bodies. Because this is the point when Christ returns where we are transformed. Philippians says, we're, but our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, what's he going to do? will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. I think this is a reference to the second coming. Christ returns those who are already with Christ, but they're, they're raised uh, because they were buried physically, and they're, they're raised physically in a new resurrection body, and they meet 
the believers that are still alive on the earth. But there's a question, another question people put to us is this one. You know those people that he says Jesus will bring with him? Where are they? What are they doing? People often say to me, what happens between death and resurrection? Where is my loved one now they want to know? Good question. Because if you come to a funeral where I preach, I will tell you what, where I think they are at that point. And I want to be able to talk about that briefly this morning as we think about all of that. Because some people think you're simply asleep. You're not conscious of anything. While others believe that we are with Christ, consciously present with Christ, enjoying the blessings of Christ. And uh, some theologians, they call it, because he, the Bible uses the language of asleep, you're asleep. We've all, we're not all sleep. They've taught a doctrine known as soul sleep. And according to this theory, those who die in faith in Christ sleep unconscious in the protective care of God until the day of resurrection. Now, if that's the case, that's good. You're going to be with Christ. That really doesn't matter. And they get that, that truth. And let me say right at the beginning, it's not what I believe. I'll come to what I believe in a moment from the Scriptures. They use that language, I tell you, a mystery, we will not all sleep, but we will be changed, because the Bible uses the language of sleep. And you'll see it in 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 to 16, that we've read today, you are those who fall asleep, or those who have fallen asleep, or those who have fallen asleep. So, well, see, the Bible teaches, they say, that we fall asleep, and then when Christ returns, we wake up. But we're not conscious. Now, soul sleep is not the majority view. Most theologians, whether Protestant or Roman Catholic, insist that between death and the day of resurrection, departed believers are consciously at rest as spirits in the presence of God in heaven. So we talk about being with God in heaven in our spirits, still awaiting the resurrection of the body. It's the doctrine of the intermediate state. Let me tell you why I think that's the best way to understand it. Because I want you to have confidence. When, if you were to, to die, and please don't do it today, but if you were to die then confess that you will still be alive and alert in the presence of Jesus, right? Firstly, uh, Jesus' words to the penitent thief on the cross. Luke 23, he said, remember when, uh, Please remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth, today you'll be with me in paradise. Jesus says to the thief who's dying alongside him that he'll be with him in paradise. He's not going to be asleep, he's going to be with him in paradise. The word paradise is used a couple of times in the New Testament, in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 4. Paul says he was caught up into paradise in a vision. The expression paradise is parallel to the third heaven. So he's in some form of heaven. Revelation 2, 7, we read about the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. A reference to heaven or even the new creation. It's where God is. It's the paradise. He says to the thief, today you'll be there with me. I like the whole idea that we are with Christ, not simply asleep. Philippians 1, 21 and 23, Paul tells us it's preferable to life because it means being with Jesus. If you die, it's better than being on this earth. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to, to depart and be with Christ which is better by far. There's a sense in which Paul says, if I die, I will be with Christ. I'm not sort of hanging around for a couple of thousand years, but I'll go to be with Christ. 
And 2 Corinthians 5, 6 to 8. talks about being at home with the Lord. Therefore, we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. We live by faith, not by sight. So presently, this is our experience. In one sense, we're away from the Lord because we're not with him in heaven, but we are in the body still and we live by faith. We trust him, but we don't see him as we will see him in heaven. We are confident, I say, and prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Because being with the Lord is much more powerful. It's a much richer relationship to be with him. Better to be away from this body. Can you say that? God, I'm okay. Take me. Take me to heaven. It's better to be with Jesus. I must say, often I prefer to be here. I'm enjoying life still. But Paul is able to say, you know, being with Jesus is far better than being in this body. You'll see by sight, no longer by faith. And to be with the Lord and no longer have to deal with sufferings and imperfections and sin, which haunts his present life. Then in Luke 16, you'll be familiar with the parable Jesus tells about the rich man and Lazarus. Now, it is a parable, but parables speak important truths to us. It says the rich man dies and then goes to Hades, the place of the dead for unbelievers in the Bible, a place of torment in the intermediate state. We'll see that in a moment. So a rich man dies, he hasn't trusted in God, he hasn't been generous, and he ends up in a place for unbelievers in Hades. Lazarus, though, this poor guy, ends up at Abraham's side in heaven. Not asleep, but with Abraham in heaven. There seems to be a conscious presence. Let me read to you the parable. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. Notice the picture. It's, it's about relationship. It's being with others. And Abraham, obviously we believe he's in heaven, right? The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was in torment, notice that, that torment begins following your death if you're an unbeliever, awaiting the final torment, awaiting the final judgment. There's still a separation from God. There's still a darkness as you wait. You know where you're going. If you die unforgiven, you're already conscious of that, uh, that judgment. And he saw Lazarus far away, so he called, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I'm in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things while Lazarus received bad things, but now he is comforted here and you are in agony. Besides all this, between us and you a great chasm has been set in place so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cry over from there to us. He answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them, so they will not come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets, let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he says, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. And he said to them, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. Because the point of the parable is this, that you cannot cross over from one side to the other beyond death. Your eternal destiny is determined by your response to Jesus now. 
Daryl Bock writes in his commentary, this unit is a parable, but that does not mean that it should be read as mere story. It depicts a tragic and serious reality. The coming judgment is permanent for those rejected by God, and eternal torment is in store for those who know, know that God exists but fail to respond to him in his life. The Bible's language is about continuing presence in God. And one other one that I didn't put in my notes, I, always, I, I love this one. Do you know, remember this transfiguration? Jesus up on the mountain and he's transfigured. Who hangs out with him? Moses and Elijah. So they're not asleep, unconscious somewhere. They turn up. They're having a conversation with Jesus. That's why I think the Bible's figure is so clear that life continues beyond this in terms of our spirit while we wait the resurrection of the body. It doesn't end with this life. We await the resurrection. And I think the intermediate state is a temporary arrangement until the dead are raised. Believers for eternal life, the unbelievers for eternal judgments. Yesterday I was at a cemetery. Every two weeks I go to the cemetery, just because I like the place. No. I, I go with my father, because my father, uh, in a great culture, that every two weeks he puts new flowers, he fills up the oil lamp and we light the candle on the inside. And there's some smelly oils as well, but we don't do that very often. And so we open it up, we, we fill up the water, we put new flowers, and there's some plastic ones. You've got to have some plastic ones that last, right? Every two weeks. And... Um, and we, and yesterday I was looking at the ages of the people who'd passed away with my father, just trying to remind him of eternity, right? 71, 67, 82, 15. I said, Dad, you've outlasted a lot of people. I think I'm the oldest one here. <laughs> I said, Dad, one day your time will come. One day. And you have to be ready for that moment. Something about being at a funeral and being at a cemetery the day you, two days before you preach on this passage, that makes it very, very real. But Paul writes to encourage them, and I want to speak a word of encouragement to you, that if you know Jesus and you die, you go to be with him, enjoying all the blessings of being with him, awaiting the resurrection of the body on the final day. We all will be made right. Book of Revelation says, when Christ returns, judgment takes place. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And see, the holy city is the people of God. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning, or crying, or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Friends, is there any wonder that Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 18, therefore encourage each other with these words. There is hope for eternity. Keep trusting in Jesus. Let me pray. Lord God, thank you for the assurance that Paul gives the Thessalonians and to us that because of Jesus' death and resurrection, one day we will meet him and with resurrected bodies, and we'll spend eternity with him. And Lord, I do pray for anyone today in this gathering or watching on live stream who has not yet repented, not yet trusted in you,
that would put their faith in the Lord Jesus and his death and resurrection, that would find forgiveness, that would find new life, that would find the certainty of eternal life and the certainty of resurrection life. I pray in Christ's name for his glory. Amen.